It's a final word, Cricket Podcast. Adam Collins with you in London. Jeff Lemon with me in Portugal, Season 14, Episode 37, nearing the end of uh, our 14th season. We have a lot to get through. I've been and gone when it comes to Edinburgh. Asia Cup's ahead of us. Lots of unusual injury news. The hundreds reached its denouement. The Australian men's team are starting their series against South Africa in a couple of days. There's international cricket, both men's and women's being played in the UK this week too. Hello, Jeff. Hello, and you're back from Scotland, and I, I hear tell on the wires that the final word 11 made it five from five. Didn't get to go into that on detail. We, I think people vaguely knew this had happened last <laughs> week, but you weren't here. I, I was on with Daniel last week. So, no, was I? I was on story time with Daniel. I can't even remember. This has all got so confusing, but I want to know I want to know about the five from five. Yeah, well, first of all, I'll say I've just dropped Winnie off at her last nursery room, effectively kindergarten before school. Can you believe that's how old she is now? So um, I wouldn't say it was emotional scenes at the nursery door this morning, but we did look at each other, Rachel, and I'm like, shit, that's, a, that's, that's another significant little milestone for Winifred, who joined me at Dulwich at the football yesterday with Peggy, who was at her first football game. So it's been that kind of long weekend, but it followed the great week in Edinburgh. Yep, five for five, we played the eccentric flamingo. Mingos after we spoke last week, we made about 115 on a not just a hard wicket surface, but the the, um, the grass was long. It was on a hill, and you know, 115 felt like 160. You know, you couldn't hit it. To 20 t- over game. Yeah, 20 over game. Yeah, and we defended it comfortably. We won by 24 runs. It was a, a format set by the home side where everybody, with exception of the keeper, bowled two overs. So you had I kind like of um, the the opportunity to score heavily against the weaker bowlers. But we didn't have any of those. We bowled really nicely. So with their brand new baggy blue final word caps, uh, the side performed exceptionally well. Went to the pub afterwards with the Flamingos and very quickly the conversation moved to what will next mm-hmm. year look like. And I think we're now ready for a full-blooded cricket tour. Like we, you know, we, we've, we've put our toe in the water, played the occasional game. We're looking at expanding the number of fixtures that we play in 2024. And I think that's going to include a week in Scotland, not just three days, but we're going to try and play huh. maybe five games of cricket and two days of golf. I don't expect you'll be interested in the <laughs> latter part there, but um, make the most I'm of I'm going to be picketing the golf. I'll be out the front yeah, protesting, yeah, calling but, you all a bunch of sellouts. But, but we'll also hopefully maybe we can do like four or five nights at the Fringe rather than three nights in the Fringe. Get out of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I mean, as good as it is to be in Edinburgh, see some other parts of Scotland. And that's all um, That's all pub chat. But it's, you know, I would say it's semi-serious pub chat. There's a there's a core group of people who are dead keen to make it happen. We'll all be in Edinburgh again for the half marathon for the Tavs in May. So there's a chance to kind of uh, develop relationships with other touring, wandering, friendly teams and, and make sure we get a pretty decent fixture list. So yeah, it, it was a great week though. Um, I'm so pleased that I think we had all told about 15 or so people up in Scotland with us, those who live in Edinburgh and those who made the trip from London and other parts of the UK, saw some great shows, um, had some enjoyable nights out and um, yeah, most importantly from a cricketing perspective, we won on the Tuesday and we nearly won on the Wednesday. We played four of the Tavs, four of us uh, turned out twice, so Pat McKeon. Uh, Dan Price, uh, Tom Cooper and myself played the second game. And you'll, you'll appreciate this, Jeff, in terms of sort of quirky shithousery. Not quite shithousery, but, you know, it was in that general family of behaviour where the captains had agreed for it to be a 12-person game. Now, I wasn't, you know, my instinct is not to be too keen on that, but my understanding was as they, that we were going to have 12. So 12 were on the field, so you had an extra fielder. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were 10 out um, with 134 on the board when I was dismissed. 
from the first ball I faced. Uh, and, uh, and then numbers 11 and 12 put on 40-odd. So we thought we were defending 176, only to be told later that we were defending 134. And we got it down um, to about four balls to spare. I took wickets and bowled frugally, but only bowled seven of my eight. Maybe if I bowled my full complement, um, we, we might have been able to have restricted them. But no, the 40s club beat us by, I think, three wickets. And, but still, it didn't put a dampener on. It was a great week. Not mad, not mad. Never been mad. Don't let anybody ever say that, that there was any, <laughs> any madness involved. Uh, it's been a summer of first ballers, I suppose. But at least the important thing is that wasn't a loss for the final word 11. No. That was a different team. So still unbeaten. That's it. And we've got the 22nd of September game coming up. So it keeps moving, doesn't it? So that, that game at Dulwich, we played yesterday. A few final word people again were playing at Elaine yesterday for Oval Dream Boys. I hit 100 mm-hmm. metre six, whatever. Um, uh, but we've um, hit a ball into the house on the full over the bowler's head. Uh, but um, or near enough to 100 metres. But we're playing at the, at the nicer Dulwich Cricket Club up the hill there a little bit on the 22nd of Friday, 4pm kickoff. We've got lots of players already, but as many people that want to come down for our, what I'm going to call now our, our annual end of year, end of season function should do so. There'll be a tabs component to it as well. It's been great playing with the tabs, Jeff, a little bit of late. I've got a game with them at Wormsley um, next week against the Authors. But um, yeah, they've, um, they've been great partners to us uh, through the live shows, through the marathons. And like that relationship's only developing further. So um, make sure you sign up to the mailing list. And if you want to run a half marathon in Edinburgh, um, with us next year. We're going to be doing it. Also, Birchgrove Oval is happening. I've been chatting to Peter Lewis during the week. So January 26th in Sydney at the beautiful Birchgrove, the final word, 11 Australian edition will be taking on the Newtown Browns again, even though that overlaps with the test match inconveniently. Cricket Australia decided to schedule a test across the weekend when <laughs> we generally play, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll work out a way around that. It's going to happen one way or another. So start putting that into your thinking if you're in Australia, a few people are talking about travelling to Sydney to be part of that game. And I'm going to send some caps over for you as well. So we've had the um, the baggy navy blues by necessity because they were the only colour that could be turned around quickly for me. Jeff, you're keen on more powder blue for the Australian team. So we'll get on that in the next few days and send them over. And also that there, there might be a Melbourne game. Uh, this is I'm not going to um, reveal too much at this point because I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse and all the rest. But it feels like we're inching closer to organising a Melbourne final word fixture for early December. Which would seem reasonable since that's where we're both from originally. Right, yes. let's get into the bits and pieces of the show that we have ahead of us. And we have to start with runouts at the non-strikers end. Mm. Uh, a, a beautiful thing, a, a beautiful thing in that it wasn't, it was significant in the match, but it wasn't kind of the, the only, the biggest moment in the match. We're talking, of course, about Afghanistan and Pakistan, the men's teams who are playing three ODIs in Sri Lanka, a bit of smart scheduling given that they were already there ahead of the Asia Cup and so, you know, why not play some matches against one another at the same time? Now, this is interesting for a number of reasons. One, that Afghanistan get absolutely wiped out in the first game. They get bowled out for 59. Um, Having bowled well and kept Pakistan to 201 and feeling pretty good about themselves, they're shot out for 59 by Harris Rauf principally. With five wickets after Shahin Shah Afridi knocks over two batters for ducks off the top, as is his want. And so Afghanistan are steaming for the second match. They're really mad about this. They come in, opening stand of 227. How often would you have a team have an opening pair make about four times what the entire team made in the previous match? Mm, mm. Fairly fairly ridiculous scenes. Ramanullah Gobas makes 151. Ibrahim Zadran makes 80. 
and they probably should punish Pakistan more with 10 overs to go when a couple of, you know, when we could start to fall, but only 73 off the last 10 overs or so. Still, 300 to defend, should be able to do it. Imam al Haq makes 91, Babar Azam makes 53, but because they're defending 300, it means there's still a long way to go when Imam gets out. They're 6 for 211 at that point. Shadab Khan, taking it deep, needs 33 off three overs. Shaheen Shahafridi is batting with him, gets out, and with a couple of overs to go, Shadab Khan takes it up several notches, goes 2 2, 2 4, 6 from the 49th, off strike to start the 50th. And Fazal Haq Faruqi, the, the player who, you remember us watching his death bowling in the T20 World Cup yeah. and, and being impressed by it. And then he came over for the big bash and, and got sent home for reasons that publicly were left very murky, but to do with behaviour within the camp in, in ways that were not acceptable. There was, no, you know, nothing, clarity never really came out about that. But he's bowling this last over and he comes in and knocks off Shadab Khan at the non-striker's end, which is interesting because Shadab's trying to get back on strike. So he leaves his crease early. He's comfortably out. It didn't look like it was a pre-planned one because, you know, the, the bowler looks like he's coming in to bowl. And I don't know whether he has time to notice or whether it's just a guess, but... Um, he knocks the bales off at the non-striker's end, gets rid of the danger player, and then Pakistan managed to win the match anyway, thanks to Nasim Shah, the, the bowler, who's on strike, who smokes a four off the next ball. They scramble a few runs, and then he's able to edge a boundary and win them the game. So the, the, the sort of vocal Pakistan supporters are very fired up about this, saying, ha-ha, you, you tried the mancad, and even then we beat you kind of stuff. But... It, it was it was interesting. This is something we've talked about for a while, Adam. That it's it's likely to come into the game more. And your theory was that it was likely to come in through teams that were more recent entrants into international yeah. cricket, and and seeing it at the business end of a major contest between full member nations. You know that it does feel like. Uh, an advance in that direction. Well, well the first thing is I, I love this rivalry, right? It's like the old some, you know. Uh, we don't get along, so we're going to get it on sort of Muhammad Ali stuff with um, with Pakistan and Afghanistan over the last few years, going back to that 2019 uh, World Cup game that was played in bad spirit the whole way through. And of course, there's broader political history here, and I don't want to sort of undermine that. But when you reduce it back to just cricket, it's good that there's a rivalry between two sides that are going to be playing in the Asia Cup next week. And well, assume they, assuming they both make it through the group stage and, and playing in the World Cup against each other later this year. Um, again, I, I, I don't want to sort of um, divorce this conversation from the broader one about Afghanistan but if you just focus on the cricket itself this is a positive thing and the running at the non-striker yeah exactly that it wasn't that big a deal everybody I think acknowledges that Shadab Khan was um, trying to take off prematurely and thus it was perfectly reasonable for Faruqi to take the bales the way that he did you know there's always that question about oh was it premeditated and so on or was he watching the the batter was he watching the stumps it doesn't matter anyway right like if it's premeditated like is it as we've talked about many times on the program, does it invalidate a dismissal because you choose to get a batter out that way? Of course not. Um, and it's almost impossible to um, to not have some degree of premeditation to execute this without the arm going above the, the parallel and, and all the rest of it, the way that Fariki was able to stop in time. So that's just that solid game awareness. And it didn't end up dominating the conversation. The experience we had 12 months ago here with the Charlie Dean, uh, Deepti Sharma run out at Lords and, and others like it is that, you know, you, the timeline is 
full of shit for an entire week as the culture war plays out. This just yeah. felt like, well, okay, if this thing happened, and yes, in the margins there might have been some Pakistani fans who felt um, who, who felt as though it was, uh, it was something they could whack the Afghanistan fans over the head with on Twitter. But when you boil it down, the response to this was nowhere near as fierce as others mm-hmm. that we've seen. And I expect we'll see a lot more of them in the 50-over World Cup in, in a month from now. I'd be very surprised if we don't see a number of run-out attempts at the non-striker's end because it's becoming more and more normalised. And that is kind of what we need to happen. It needs to be normalised in order to um, demystify it, destigmatize it, and probably lead towards batters um, backing up in a way that reduces the risk of them being dismissed this way anyway. I wonder whether it would have been a much bigger story had Afghanistan won that game and the the result of the match in the probably wasn't yeah. affected by it in terms of the the team who were the quote unquote victims of the of the particular event. Some other Asia Cup Asia Cup stuff that's been interesting. Virat Kohli and his beep test. This was quite yeah. fun. Popping up. Why wouldn't you, if you're Virat Kohli, put up a shirtless photo of yourself with your beep test numbers of seventeen point two, the kind of numbers that would make an ordinary human being puke if you reached seventeen point two? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take that opportunity? So he does that on his Instagram, and then we're told that the um, uh, the BCCI are not happy about this because this is contractual, confidential, commercial information <laughs> as to who's got a good beep <laughs> test number and. And who doesn't? I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that there are some players in the, that Indian team who do not have such a good beep test. And maybe it's more about not wanting those numbers to get out than mm. uh, not wanting the good numbers to get out. But, um, you know, it, it was it was entertaining during the week uh, that while still worrying about the fixture and what games are actually going to be played where, they're also worrying about whether somebody's getting access to Virat's beep numbers. Uh, and look, the Asia Cup mentioned it starts on Wednesday with Pakistan hosting Nepal at Multan, uh, then Bangladesh playing Sri Lanka at Kandy, and that's where the India-Pakistan game is on Saturday at Kandy. So that will be huge. It always is. It's nicely timed, and it's the right format. Uh, we saw the Asia Cup become a T20 uh, Stoush, when it made sense to do so, I think that flexibility stands to reason that if there's an ICC tournament coming up in one format or the other to, to tailor the Asia Cup that way. So, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's two groups of three. It's a strange format where three becomes two, then they go into what they're calling a super fours. So it doesn't look particularly elegant, but um, it does give um, all of these teams, I think five of the six are in the World Cup. So they'll get a chance to, to feel each other out before they all arrive in India in about a month from now. Mm. Heath Streak is alive. This is good news during the week after um, Henry Longa, bless him, popped out a tweet saying that um, that his pr- former bowling partner had crossed to the other side. Henry Longa, one of the great people in cricket and 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 one of you know one of the the most ethical and upstanding people in cricket, I must say. So no shade on him, but he uh, got information and jumped prematurely on it and then got a message from Heathstreak himself which was not from beyond the grave um, Heathstreak <laughs> is still unwell and going through cancer treatment but he's still very much with us yeah the um, the message said something like I've been reprieved by the third umpire or something like that yeah. so um, there was that cricket edge to the reporting but in that couple of hour well that two or three hour window between um, Alonga's first tweet and his second tweet it gave a lot of cricket websites the chance to fire off some brief obituaries and it was a reminder of what a giant Heathstreak was for Zimbabwean cricket through the 90s and we've documented the troubles that he got into off the field on the program before but focusing on Heath Street the cricketer and and what he meant to that team through a particularly productive time and a very difficult time is not 
to be underestimated. And also of note was that Henry Alonga is, is a Reddit user because that's uh, that's another interesting piece out of all this. That he first revealed the news that Streak was alive through his personal Reddit account. I don't know for whatever reason. I don't huh. sort of feel like that's the sort of forum where international cricketers would hang out. But but so it is. I I wore a black armband to mourn the death of democracy. Am I the asshole? Um, yeah, exactly. You know, answer, answer on Reddit. You know, uh, Ara Mugabe underscore forty three says. <laughs> um, yeah, this one, it, it's 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 an it's an odd sort of one, and it's also it's odd when you've got these players, whether um, you know, because Heath Street obviously had a finding an anti-corruption finding against him. Someone like Chris Cairns never did have the finding against him, but had the allegations against him, and and he's been extremely unwell and stuff over the last couple of years. It's it's interesting how the reporting works in those cases when there's someone who's got this black mark against their name in one way or another where whether it's an allegation or a proven thing yeah but they're also champion players and you know you you, you particularly saw it since Cairns got sick uh, people don't talk about that part of things anymore it's all very supportive when the news the non-news the incorrect news about street came through it was all uh, very celebratory and supportive as well it wasn't talking about um, having been whacked with an anti-corruption ban for eight years what only a year ago I think it's human nature that when someone's mm. ill or, or passed away and I know that in neither case streak or cancer they passed away but there, you remember that it's a, it's a long long time ago now but my pop culture brain remembers that that chaser skit from a long time ago that everyone's a good bloke when they're dead um, you know that there, there, there's a little yeah. bit of that um, that, that comes through when uh, when high-profile people who've been excellent sportsmen or sportswomen pass away prematurely that you can very quickly forgive and forget whether that's right or wrong. I don't want to get into moral judgments here, but but yeah, that, that, that sort of uh, is what you're referring to, I think, when it comes to Heath Streak, that he's clearly very, very ill. Uh, we, we shouldn't sort of wash over that. It, it's pretty obvious that he's um, that he's got cancer in a bad way. So yeah, those obituaries that have been drafted and some of which got published, um, you know, ho- hopefully it isn't too soon, but in all probability they, they will have reason to be published in, in the, you know, in the medium term, not, not the long life that you'd hope a, a great cricketer would enjoy. Um, but yeah, it, it was, um, I woke up to all the tweets and, and, and woke up to all the reaction. I think the best response was um, Dan Cherneys, who often nails it on Twitter, our colleague from uh, News Corp, who just posted that Simpsons clip, where it, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, Mr. Burns was um, taken to hospital and declared dead, then taken to a better hospital and declared alive, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought rather summed up the situation. Which was followed up by I think it was was it Lenny Phillips bringing in um, uh, the you know Bart in the in the in the hand cut Mum Dad Bart's dead That's right Dead serious about going to um, <laughs> which in this case was dead serious about Zimbabwe qualifying for the next fifty over World Cup Yeah Anyway that is what has been happening um, in in local terms There's been some big injury news for us dating back to June when we knew that our, <laughs> our beloved colleague Barrett Sundarason had damaged his thumb taking a catch off your bowling yeah. in one of the games we played in England. Um, he's finally had a specialist look at it and it's absolutely cooked. He's he's broken it in a bunch of different ways. It's been mm, – it's, it, it's it's going to take some putting back together basically. It's a Humpty Dumpty situation but he's he's beginning that now. So um, whether whether it was all worth it for a catch in a, in a social game – uh, on the weekend before your wedding, that is up to you. That's between you, Barat, and God. Well, he, well, he's had reconstructive surgery today, and he's been keeping me updated since he got the prognosis last week. And, and I mean, it, it's a great catch, and it's a nice setup, and the whole thing looks great on tape because, of course, my mates were videoing it over the boundary as part of my Buck Stag weekend, whatever you want to call it. 
and he, you know, charges in off the rope at long on, snaffles it low to the ground, and he didn't realise until about 20 minutes later that he was in strife because he couldn't hold he couldn't hold the ball properly. And we went through that week at Lords when he found it difficult to type, but he kind of got through it, guts it out if you like. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, now he's received the news that it was more serious. It, the catch has been played on on national television. Brett was doing a spot on ABC News Breakfast and they'd seen the tweet and they, they showed Brat take it. So his view <laughs> is that it was worth it. And he's got a surgeon who is uh, who's someone who understands sport and the surgeon also thinks it was worth it because the story in the long run will live a lot longer than the than the poorly thumb at the moment, especially after the surgery. But no, it, it is clearly uh, significant and he'll... Here's the good news though. Uh, he won't be under any risk of missing the World Cup. So if it was, um, you know getting surgery a week or two before, um, then maybe he might have found it a bit difficult to travel overseas with swelling and so on. But he'll be good to go come the 3rd of October or whenever the first game is. He was still able to type all of his match reports through the back half of the Ashes somehow um, with a digit missing, which uh, I'll tell you from experience can hamper you a lot when when, when you're missing a, a hand or, or an arm or <laughs> I, the use thereof. I remember you told me before, Jeff, didn't you break arms when you were covering a Rugby World Cup or something like that? Yeah, 2011, I, I smashed my shoulder crashing a dirt bike um, about <laughs> four days before the World Cup final and did the rest of it with one arm in a sling and, and one-handed, one-finger typing. It's not the best. I also remember when you broke a hand maybe four four or five years ago and we were committed to doing X number of Crick Info match reports for the Big Bash League yeah. and you needed to basically type it out with one hand on your phone to file copy out of a game that you were already committed to covering and for whatever reason I wasn't about so I couldn't step in for you. So, you know, you can teach Brett a lesson or two on this front. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to make any jokes about working one-handed but um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not as easy as you might think. Genuine cricket injury news will come to us. Uh, after the break. Before then, well, I'm not going to yell nerd pledge because we're not exactly doing a nerd pledge because we didn't exactly have time to prepare one for the show this morning. But I did want to pick up on a thread from last week when we were talking about testimonial games. Mm. Uh, the the Pluckaduck Dean Jones testimonial game, I, I think that might be one of my favourite nerd pledge segments. If you didn't listen to last week's weekly show, go back and get yourself into it. I think you'll enjoy it. But we were talking about players' testimonials. You talked about David Boone's game, Ellen Border's game, et cetera, et cetera. And we had some people sent through during the week that because we, you, know, you said bring them back. We should have testimonial matches for high-profile players when they call it quits. You know, what might David Warner's testimonial match look like at the SCG and say in the middle of the Big Bash, for instance? But Paul Collingwood had one in 2017, not that long ago. It was a Durham one, not an England one, because he he played so many games for for Durham in county cricket, and they arranged it because. He's such a you know a north of England type or the the other north of England, if you will, the northeast. It was a Sunderland versus Newcastle themed cricket match <laughs> that they played in football kits that involved football managers. So the the former Newcastle manager Peter Reid coaching one team and then up against Kevin Keegan coaching the other team. Yeah, this was good. This was a tweet that was sent in to us. And it's very northeast as well. I'm off to Durham tomorrow for two nights with Jeremy Coney. We've got a lovely little Airbnb together for the uh, first T20 between England's men and New Zealand. But they're so parochial up there. I've got a lot of mates who follow Sunderland but live in London. Well, one one mate in particular, but I've had a fair bit to do with his crew um, who've got a um, – there's a pub they all drink in in London, which I think is a co-op or something like that. And the hatred of Newcastle is pretty special. So his younger brother – played for Newcastle 
and he's such a diehard Sunderland fan. So he went to Simon Newcastle and was on the books there. And he's such a, a diehard Sunderland fan that despite being on the staff at Newcastle, he was ushered in to watch Sunderland play a crucial fixture uh, a number of years ago now in the chairman's box where he wouldn't be spotted by the Newcastle fans because that allegiance never slips. You're either one or the other um, when it comes to the northeast of England. So I've got some insight to this. So it only makes sense that Paul Collingwood would divide his um, testimonial game down those uh, rather rigid lines. Well, it, it looks like... I mean, the quality's a bit too high almost for me. Jonathan Trott played Ashley Giles. Sean Marsh played, which I enjoyed. Mm. Um, Liam Plunkett, Keaton Jennings, and the, the other side had Swan, Harmison, Sidebottom, Phil Mustard and Graham Onions together, which, of course, everybody always likes. If only you could get Phil Salt and Michael Pepper in there as well. But then they throw in Love Island winner Max Morley. Um, he was playing. So that's, <laughs> it seems it's like quite a step down to go, you know, Swan, Harmison, Love Island. What is it with Love Island guys and cricket? They're always they're popping up every every yeah. bloke who's been on Love Island. Has remember, was it Chris from Love Island yep. who was doing the 2019 World Cup opening um, sort of whatever game sure. they were playing outside Buckingham Palace? Yeah, yeah, he 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 gets rolled out and all sorts of things. There's other reality stars as well, but yeah, Chris from Love Island. Graham Swan's a Newcastle fan, right? So despite having grown up in in the Midlands in Northampton and then moved to play his, most of his cricket at Nottinghamshire when he was playing for England anyway he's he's always been a Newcastle supporter so that that makes sense I suppose but even that you know cricketers in inside that Durham dressing room whether they follow um, Sunderland or, or follow Newcastle is I guess it's like the old Protestant Catholics in in um, mm. in, uh, in football clubs in in Melbourne in the 50s and 60s they'd play scratch matches against each other I'm, I'm sure that when they play their you know five-a-side games and warm-up games of football that's how they break it down when uh, when Durham are, uh, are warming up of the morning. Well, if you want to send us a nerd pledge where we tell a story of your choice in a roundabout way on the show, go to patreon.com slash the final word. You can help us keep making the show as well. Let's take a quick break back in just a second. Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw and you're listening to the final word podcast. It is the final word. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, the injuries that matter a little more than the ones in social games. Taylor Valamick and Sophie Eccleston are both dislocated shoulders. They're both going to miss the whole WBBL. It's been a, a cursed run of luck for Valamick, particularly the last few years. Those foot injuries, those two stress fractures in the feet that kept her out for a, a long period of time. And then Eccleston, England will be particularly concerned about given that they need to go to India and play a test match and that would be a lot easier if Eccleston can uh, bowl 70 overs like she did against Australia. Yeah, and it's unusual that both of them are dislocated their non-bowling shoulder. So, you know, there's there's some work that's been put into shoulder injuries in women's cricket. I'm not sure whether this will necessarily fold into that, but we know with Valamix, uh, the way she un uncoils would that be the right term though when she gets to the mm. crease you can imagine the strain that's also on her left shoulder less so with Eccleston but that might have been an impact injury I'm not actually sure how Eccleston's done it it was in the warm-up for a hundred game before they were playing uh, the Brave that would have been the the last group game that the originals were playing last week and with Valamick it goes back to the Australia A tour so this is of interest to me. This is where I think there's a bit of a difference between the men's game and the women's game still out there in a in a behind-the-lines new cycle kind of way. So Valamick, they, they had it described as shoulder instability Cricket Australia after that tour game. So Australia A were playing 50-over um, and 20-over games against England A at the same time that the senior teams were duking it out. Now, 
had this been the men's game, the news hounds would have been all over this story, right? Valimik with her you know, exhaustive injury uh, story, not least the foot where she was having it um, helped along in all sorts of ways to try and get back on the park. She was working with the Australian Ballet Group a couple of years ago to strengthen her foot. Missed all of last season and has missed a lot of cricket across her young career, only 24 years of age. But, I mean... The truth is we weren't, right? We've learnt about the extent of this injury via a press release more than a month later. So that that's one small difference between the coverage of men's and women's cricket in that men's cricket, there are journalists who are dedicated to finding all of the injury news and breaking it as quickly as they can. It's quite competitive. Women's cricket doesn't have quite the same degree of news coverage and scrutiny on that side of things. With Eccleston, it took a few days as well. Now, it feels like Eccleston's one isn't as serious because uh, Valimix already had surgery and it's going to keep her out of the big bash. We're not quite sure whether it'll keep her out of the entire international summer, acknowledging that Australia play the Windies from the 1st of October in, in white ball cricket at home. Then they go to India to play in December, I think it is, Jeff. They're over there, um, including a, a test match in that country. So whether Valimix back for that or otherwise, um, sort of time will tell. But more surgery for her is um, is a pretty big story. And, and yeah, Eccleston, uh, she wasn't playing in these Sri Lanka uh, matches anyway that are coming up starting in a couple of days from now. She's being rested and managed and, and so on. And Daniel and I had that conversation a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, the fact that she won't be able to go to the Big Bash where she played so well for the Sydney Sixers last year, that's part of that elite T20 women's circuit that's been established over the last few years and that'll be a big blow for her and, and the question is whether she can get back in time to play for England when they're next scheduled to play they've got white ball games against New Zealand in March um, and they've also got commitments against India so yeah she's clearly the number one bowler in the world so that's um that's a significant development it's also interesting how many of the next rank have been dropping out with injury from the England men's setup as well. I mean, you were you were talking with Daniel about these about bolters who were getting into the England white ball squad, like John Turner, and so on. He's now missing that series. Josh Tung is off injured with some undisclosed injury. Like it, it seems like there there are a lot of problems that are cropping up from without anything particularly dramatic having happened. It's a bad year for England and injury. Remembering you go back to Archer and Stone at the start of the summer, who both in all probability would have played in the Ashes. Um, yeah, Josh Tung, it was interesting that they, they just said he was out with an injury. They didn't go into any detail there. And that's the other side of it, right? That the, the communication teams, for whatever reason, like to keep injury news as close as possible. We see that with the Aussie men all the time, right? We have talked about it repeatedly that um, you can never really take seriously what you're told by the Australian camp about injuries because they, they do things on their own terms. But yeah, Josh Tung, who was set to make his England white ball debut, won't be doing that in the series against New Zealand. And yeah, um, and John Turner, who was was a bit of a bolter via the blast and the, and the 100, only 22 years of age, from South Africa originally, but he's made a real impression at pace and mm. he won't be playing either. So, yeah, a couple of omissions there. Good news for Australia's women, though, uh, in terms of uh, players who've been unavailable, is that Meg Lanning has been uh, training with Victoria ahead of the WNCL, which starts in September. They've got, as I said before, international uh, fixtures against the West Indies in early October and Elisa Healy was interviewed during the week and gave the impression that Lanning might be back. Now, we don't know the full extent of what was keeping Lanning out of the side earlier this year, but it was clearly serious enough to keep her you know, away from an entire women's ashes. And if she's back, that's mm. great news. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably a matter of give her whatever time she wants and if that's make a, a more measured entry through the domestic stuff um, and and then work her way up to the national team, then that could be the way. But knowing the way that Lanning has been attitude-wise and personality-wise, you know, last time she made a comeback, she was as quickly as possible getting back yeah. into that Australian team. You know, she, she seems to be – she's been willing to take time out when it's been necessary, but – once she gets back in, she wants to be back at 100 immediately. Uh, Jeff, there, there's been uh, releases from CA this week about the Big Bash and WBBL drafts that are that are coming up and loads of English players have put their names forward. Yeah, this is quite interesting. It's like every, everybody who, maybe everybody who doesn't have an ILT20 contract to go to the UAE or maybe someone who wants to do half and half. So Sam Billings in there, David Willey, Milan, Crawley, Will Jacks, Dan Lawrence, James Vince, Tom Curran, Ollie Pope, Gus Atkinson, Tom Banton, Tom Collar, Cadmore, that was just off one press release. Mm. Um, a lot of the South African women putting their hands up as well. Wolfhart, Tryon, Nadine de Klerk, um, yeah. Annika Bosch, Tasman Brits, Dane Vanekirk, who's not playing for South Africa anymore. But yeah, it's, it's interesting sort of which countries go all in on which particular tournaments. Um, and if you're a, a, a second level down England domestic men's player, you want to be in the Big Bash, apparently. Yeah, I think pretty much every name you read out there, Jeff, has featured in the 100 as well, which reached its conclusion over the weekend. So there were the uh, the Eliminators on Saturday at the Oval and the Grand Finals on Sunday at Lords. I caught the end of the men's final after my own game. But yeah, there, there was... There was some sort of in-the-margins controversy on Saturday, Jeff, which I detected on, on social media. So there was heavy rain here on Saturday afternoon. An hour of it apparently dumped on the Oval. Now, because they're, they're, they're double-headers with the women and the men, the women's game got rained off entirely and the men's game got on entirely. So I kind of get why the women are like, well, well, some commentators on the women's game were like, well, shouldn't it have been, you know, two limited games, maybe two games of 50 balls each or something like that rather than mm. the women losing their game in totality. I think the real point here is shouldn't there be latitude for a reserve day more than anything else? Once you get to a, the elimination stage of a tournament, I think we've seen this in in World Cups recently and other domestic competitions around the world that you need to have some fat built into your schedule uh, when you get to the very end of it, which is why the Welsh fire mm. were eliminated and the superchargers were able to go through. But back to the women's um, tournament in a sec. On the men's side of things, uh, now, the originals went through via a very high-scoring eliminator and took on the Oval Invincibles. I always find it hard, Jeff, to get the names right here because they're not kind of into my um, – they're not hardwired into my brain as yet. So no. bear with me here. I might get a little bit of this wrong. And, but. And, and they're still similar enough, like originals and invincibles are similar and which one do they belong to. And yeah. It's like when the Big Bash came in and you're like, okay, you've got the meteorological teams and then you've got the <laughs> – you know, you, you've got stars and thunder and heat and – whatever and and then you've got the other sort of vaguely I don't know like spirit what the hell is spirit you, you sort of try to group them you know, sure they're, they're not they're not animals like a lot of conventional teams <laughs> it's very confusing when, when the team names started becoming concepts like power or you know like ferocity or whatever the hell you know blaze then, then it's like they're compound nouns rather than discrete objects and that's when it gets difficult well in this case the invincibles to stick with that theme they were in real strife in in the men's final so they were 34 for five after 36 balls and got to 161 for five so an unbeaten partnership of 127 in 64 balls in a final the biggest partnership ever in that tournament Jimmy Neesham 57 not out from 33 balls Tom Curran 
67 not out from 34 deliveries. Um, you know, Tom Curran's been a little bit off the map of late in, in terms of England staff. He has a World Cup winner's medal from 2019, but it, the last time we spoke about him on the final word was when he said he wasn't available to play red ball cricket for Surrey anymore. It didn't like feel like everything was quite aligned and right, but um, this will help uh, in terms of his ambition to play for England again. Nisham, uh, gun for hire around the world and always loves playing at Lords. But yes, the, their score of 161 proved 14 too many for the originals. They squeezed them from all angles. Will Jacks took two for 11. And Nathan Souter, one for 24. I doubt we've ever mentioned Nathan Souter on the show before, but like this so. is where the 100 is really good for for specialist T20 or specialist white ball cricketers, but, but those who excel in the shorter forms. Nathan Souter, he... he Barely gets a look in as a red ball cricketer. I've seen him play a couple of times for Middlesex in that form of the game. But, you know, if you're trying to make it work as an overseas, like he's from Sydney originally, Souter, came over to England as a passport player, been there for years now. But, you know, this is the shop window, right? Like if he does well in this tournament, it's more likely to propel him onto the national scene than playing well in the blast where Mm. there are 140-odd games from memory. Most of them aren't televised and it's so congested that it's hard to keep a handle on what's going on. On. Whereas Nathan Souter, people now get to see him in every game he plays in this competition on TV, a lot of that on the BBC and so on. So, you know, I know that there's a, a lot of um, a lot of consternation around the 100 and there always will be, but for, yeah. for different types of players, it can be an extremely good thing. So they got the job it, done. It's, inter- it, it's interesting there's consternation uh, about the 100 game that didn't happen rather than 100 games that are happening as well with that, yeah. um, that qualifier. I mean, I got, I got that right. Like, you know, the... The Welsh fire women when, had lit up the tournament. Like they, they had been such yeah. a success story this year and there was so much attention on them to miss the chance to play. They're, they're the feel-good story. And so when people... Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're the comeback kids, right? And it's, That's it's, it. it's like everybody losing their minds over the Manchester Test in the Ashes. They wouldn't have really cared if that hadn't been in the middle of a comeback, which it was. And, and there's, the, there's the Alex Hartley farewell factor and all the rest of it and, and not getting to play that game. Uh, and then I suppose the flip side of that is the Anya Shrubsole farewell in the final which is you talk about players at the like unnoticed players who are trying to make a name for themselves and how the 100 helps them it also does the thing at the other end where it it allows players at the ends of their careers to have one last wave on the big stage and quite right as well so Anya Shrubsole playing for the Brave and they didn't as you'd expect them to do having bossed the group stages losing only one game all season so they they qualified as the top seed for the Lord's final they made 139 for six Danny White 59 for our Kemp 31 so two experienced England players there for our Kemp on the way up of course and Danny White's been there for a decade Kate Cross took three for for the superchargers but they were all out with the bat for just 105. Lauren Bell, three for. Um, Kalia Moore, the young off spinner, took three for as well. Uh, the Brave win by 34 runs. But yeah, all eyes were on Shrub Soul. Even in her final game, right? The ever reliable one for 18. You know, the kind of classic under Shrub Soul figures always goes at a runner ball or better than that. Always gets her name in the book. She was the captain of this side. And she's given a lot back to domestic cricket since making her retirement from England ranks two seasons ago. It reminded me a little bit of Charlotte Edwards in the KSL, the Kier Super League, season one in 2016, leading the Vipers to victory, going back and giving something back at the, at the level below, having finished up with England. So a great sign-off for her. It's all been said with Anya, like we did an entire interview episode with her um, when she retired after last year's 50-over World Cup. So if you want to hear more about the Shrub Soul story, you can go back and, and listen to that in our feed, one of our, our favourites across the journey. But at age 31, 
She is no longer a professional cricketer after 16 years doing it, and that was a, a great sign-off. Yeah, I felt a bit sad for Alex that she didn't get the you know the chance to, to have one more game uh, being washed out for the Welsh Fire, but she telegraphed for a while this would be her final season. Mm. She's only 29, turns 30 next week, but you know her career is going in a very different direction as a broadcaster, and you know timing is everything, right? And to think that Alex was able to peak as a cricketer at the perfect moment as England were on the way up, an unexpected World Cup victory. For about three months there, she was the best spinner in the world. And that happened to coincide with when England were holding up the World Cup trophy at a momentous day for English women's cricket at Lords, which we were privileged to be there for. So her career on paper doesn't look particularly substantial. 28 one day, albeit a bowling average of 24 and four T20s for England. But yeah, to nail it the way she did, when she did, that's um, that's the stuff dreams are made of. And she um, had a, a, a beautiful farewell at the Oval with her family involved and former teammates and all the rest of it. And the fact that she was still floating in some lovely left-arm deliveries through the 100, so still yep. had it, you know, talks herself down as a player always, especially given that Sophie Eccleston came through and the, the quality that Eccleston is as Hartley's replacement, basically, but um, she's a, a better cricketer than she likes to let on. Metro Bank Fee, a bit of that still going around. The semi-finals are today on the day of recording. That's Warwickshire against Hampshire, Leicestershire against Gloucestershire. We'll come back to that next week and um, have a proper look at that. And international cricket is coming back to England. In fact, it's coming back so much that you're going to contrive to do at least a couple of final word dailies yes. as you get up to Durham. <laughs> well, I, I'm not doing... We're doing... We're, for SCM, we're commentating on England, New Zealand men. So I'll, I'll probably do six of those eight games so we might as well do six dailies right so and we will mm. I'll, I'll be there with Cam Ponsonby and I can reveal um, breaking news Jeremy Coney is going to co-host a few final word episodes as well is he so uh, huh. that will be fun he's been a guest but he's never been a host he's, well he's, yeah, he's been part of the show he's held the camera mm. when we've recorded before yep. he's carried on in shot uh, to try and annoy Daniel and me um, he of course was a, a two part guest um, he gives yep. such long answers the 30 second summary is going to stretch him um, mm. But uh, JVC uh, will be with me. I think we're going to have him on for more of the, uh, the games later in the in the fortnight, but he will be there with me. So for T20 starting in Durham on Wednesday, then Manchester on Friday, then into the Midlands on the weekend, and then four one-day internationals that follow. And they're the bits that matter, right, that the one-day is mm. between England and New Zealand because we're building up to that that World Cup. At the same time, England's women are playing Sri Lanka. Um, we, we spoke uh, about that in some depth a fortnight ago, so I won't back over the squad news and so on. But three T20s followed by three one-day internationals that uh, are starting at Hove on Thursday, Chelmsford on Saturday, Derbyshire on Wednesday, then the one-dayers begin the following weekend. It was squad news. Jimmy Neesham's pulled out for New Zealand for the birth of his child. Uh, that means that Cole McConkey, McConchy, McConchy, McConkey. What'd you go with, Jeff? Could, could go either way. Um, yeah. I would probably go with a, a soft ch, I reckon, as in. But I've 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 not heard the name before. Yeah, he's played about twelve times for New Zealand. I had a quick scan before as a as a a solid heavy set off spinner who whacks it. So he's kind of there as an all round option for New yeah. Zealand, and who knows, maybe he can vault his way into the World Cup squad as well. Already mentioned the, the troubles that England have had losing Josh Tung and John Turner um, from their white ball squad for this. does give Bryden Carson an opportunity. He's genuinely fast. He's played about five or six times for England, took a fifer at Lords against Pakistan in the replacement side that turned out a couple of summers ago. And he's tall and he's made two first-class hundreds this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, 
if if we see Bryden Cast playing a lot for England in the next couple of years. But yes, a very uh, well established squad playing under Josh Butler. Ryan Ahmed's playing in the T20s, the 18 year old. That'll Interesting. be one to watch there. Gus Atkinson getting his first chance for England. He was part of that oval invincible side that, that won the comp a couple of days ago. Sam Curran. Uh, you know, Liam Livingston, David Milan, so names. Adil Sheed, the veteran, still there playing T20 cricket. And uh, for New Zealand, Tim Southey, the captain these days. There's been a couple of news reports, Jeff, in the in the last week about Kane Williamson's fitness and whether he's going to be good to go for the World Cup or not. So he's absolutely not in England, but the, the clock is now ticking as to whether he can he can make it to, to India next month or, or five or six weeks from now. And uh, Australia are about to begin their tour of South Africa. Um, Australia A are playing New Zealand in Queensland. That match is underway. New Zealand were bowled out for 147. Mitchell Swepson, three for 19. So interesting that he's still in the frame. Jordan Buckingham, three for 29. Australia made 263. Caleb Jewell, 78. Fairly galling that Scott Kugelines in that New Zealand A team. We've spoken about that before and, and written about it. Um, there's, there's still been no attempts to ever address any of the issues around Kugelan. He's never done it. New Zealand cricket have never done it and they, they still kind of persist with this where the nice guys of world cricket bullshit while being willing to pick that player to represent them. Um, but Jordan Buckingham is an interesting story. You would have seen a bit of him in county cricket where he was playing for North Ends. Well, yeah, so he's been, well, he, he took a sixer in a four-day game against New Zealand Day for Australia A earlier this year, the South Australian quick, but I'm not sure whether he was over, over here as, a, as an overseas player or a passport player, probably as an overseas because if he were a passport player, he'd be ineligible to play for Aussie A. Anyway, the point is is that he's, he's coming through uh, and, he's, um, and he's taken three for in this game. And yet Caleb Jewell, pleased to see after you know, having a really good season for Tasmania, getting this opportunity as well. So it's not just about those two or three players on the periphery of the Australian team who are in this squad. It's other guys as well. Sadly, Matt Kelly is missing, uh, the West Australian fast bowler, who's been integral to their Sheffield Shield success over the last two years. Um, he he picked up a quad strain doing pre-season work for WA, so he isn't up in Queensland. So, yeah, they've got two four-day games, a, a couple of uh, three one-day games all up at Allen Borderfield, and, and I think a couple of games are in Mackay as well. From a senior team perspective, bad news for Glenn Maxwell returning from South Africa with a left ankle issue. That's the same uh, ankle issue that saw him come a cropper in India earlier this year. So this isn't the broken leg. It's just, it's a different injury. But, you know, the, the fact that it's to do with the legs after what happened you know, less than 12 months ago is noteworthy. He was going to miss the the second part of the South African series anyway for the birth of his first child, much as it is with Jimmy Nation. But when you consider that, you know, it's, it's Maxwell, Smith, Stark and Cummins, all for different reasons, not over there at the moment. Well, I know Cummins is there, but in a non-playing capacity. There's quite a few moving parts. And Andrew McDonald acknowledged as much on SEN Radio this morning that, you know, they've got quite a bit to, to land. And he, he didn't back away from the, the concerns around Maxwell either, saying that it is something that they, they are worried about because they, mm. as he said in his words, he's the one player they can't really replace. Like, you know, anyone in the Australian team has someone else in, in state ranks who could step in. 
Maxwell's a unicorn, right? The, the, the pace that he scores mm. that, what he can do with the ball, the all-round versatility he provides in the middle order. So I know he didn't have a great World Cup in 19, but he is a World Cup winner from, from back in, in 2015. So that, that's definitely part of the conversation. Matt Wade's coming yeah. in for well, Maxwell. He, he, had a, he had a fast scoring World Cup in 19, and that was still what they needed him to do was that even if he wasn't making mm. huge scores, he was making them in, in really quick time. And sure. you know, there were a couple of times when it, it worked to a point and, and a few when he got sawn off one way or another. But um, I've, I would have guessed in, in some ways he might be quite happy to be home with Vinny given that they're expecting their kid and, and you know being away for white ball games at that point might seem less important like you have to do it but if you're not fit to do it there, there might it might be a significant silver lining to yeah that. and that point was stressed in the media release that he was coming home for that for you know they're, they're due next month so it all makes sense he'll be in india for the the three game one day series before the world cup so it's pretty hardcore for him trying to you know become a new dad at the same time as a world cup but you know that's the way these things go sometimes uh, matt wade's coming in for him for the t20s i suppose he's a long shot for the for the world cup Squad, you know, I know they've named their 18, and but that can change. If Matt Wade made runs for the T20 side and one of those aforementioned players, well, if it was Smith or, or Maxwell, ended up having a, a more serious injury complaint, the experience of Wade might be something they look to. He's been playing in the 100 over the last few weeks. And that all begins on Wednesday in Durban. All the T20s are being played there. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, five one days with a bit more riding on them that start on the 7th of September. Adam... This is controversial, but I think we have wrapped up a final word weekly show in under an hour. I don't know if we've ever done this, but I think we might have done this. I think we have covered what we wanted to cover. We've said what we wanted. And I mean, sure, we could, I don't know, just fill hot air for another seven minutes. And we've done that before, not intentionally, but we've done it many times by accident. Or we could say, hey... Short show's a good show. Having listened back to a couple of the archive apps where we nail a show in 30 minutes, I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. You know, I, I think we, we yeah, we, we used we to were, do that. They used to say to us when we were making podcasts for that particular organisation that, that podcasts needed to be under 30 minutes or no one would listen mm. to them. That was what their podcast gurus said. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. I think that um, what, what people were saying was like hard science on podcasts in sort of 2015, mm. 16, 17 proved to be quite wrong anyway. Yes, yeah, so I saw, um, I, went to, I went and saw The Strokes um, the other night at All Points East Festival on Friday night and they played an album track from um, First Impressions of Earth called Ask Me Anything and the, the defining line of that song is um, uh, we could drag it out but that's for other bands to do. Well, so it applies to us. We could drag it out for another 20 minutes but that's for mm-hmm. other podcasts to do. It means all there is to say is if you want to help the show, patron.com slash the final word. If you want to find out what the Lord's Taverners are up to, find their do link it. in the show notes. Join up to their mailing list. They are very good people helping people who need a, a little bit of assistance here and there. Um, and they're doing great work using cricket to do great work in the world more broadly. And that's it. This has been the final word. It has. Uh, and if you wish to get involved on the 22nd of September, do let me know as soon as you can. I mean, we've got a lot of players, but, you know, scorers, umpires, all those types of things. In fact, I think Jack Rule's going to umpire for us, which is kind of cool. Jack, who's uh, a most enthusiastic uh, supporter of, of the game on, on social media, and he was there along with us, I think, scoring at the Final Word game last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, thanks to everybody who came to Edinburgh. That's that's quite the exciting little part of the show now that we can do these meetups and tours and so on, uh, and we'll continue doing that. So if you wish to be part of that community, Discord is the best place for it, patron.com forward slash the 
Final word. Okay, you're right. That's it. Episode 37 of season 14. Make sure you tune in to Storytime this week. I, we haven't recorded it yet, but I've got a couple of good stories to tell and I'm tipping Jeff. Oh, has it's going to be a good one. Also. Yeah, I've got a real good one. Uh, and we've got, um, yes, the other interviews in the feed at the moment. Chiteshwa Pajara, that went huge last week. Um, treat yourself to an hour with the, the great Indian uh, batsman and, and other bits and pieces coming through over the next seven days as well. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. I had to go.